This is the Poetry in Motion podcast on the Blood Red channel with Neil Fitzmorris, bringing you all the big news and even bigger views on Liverpool FC. Uh, hello and welcome to another episode of Poetry in Motion with me, Neil Fitz. Uh, joining me on today's show is uh, Sean Bradbury and Paul Ghost. Say hello to Ghosty first. Hello, Ghosty. Morning, Neil. You okay? I'm all right, pal. How are you? You had a late night last night. We'll talk about that in just a second. I didn't realise how much graft you lads, but I just thought you'd go watch the match for nothing. Right? We're going to sort of, we're going to pull down the veil now for most Liverpool fans who think that you lot just eat pies, watch the match for nothing, scribble a few words down and then bugger off home. Well, apparently that's not the case. We'll get back to you in a sec, Ghosty. Hello, Sean. You okay? Very well, thanks, pal. How's tricks? Tricks are good, my friend. Can't hide the smile on your face, brother, either. Um, a little bit of form at last show, eh? Oh, indeed. It's been, uh, been much, much welcome. I think we always knew that Liverpool could put a run together, but I didn't actually believe we'd see it and they'd see the season out like this. But happy days so far, at least. Yeah, absolutely. We'll get back to you on that one. Uh, well, you're talking about form, Ghosty. 23 points from the last 27. Um, and before that, we'd got 12 points from 42. Where where's it come from, my friend? Who's flicked the switch and what's happened? Uh, honestly, I think I think probably the the catalyst for that is putting Fabinho back into midfield. Um, Nat Phillips getting a run of games at centre back uh, alongside Kabak mostly up until recently when Reese Williams has, has come in and he's done a, a fantastic job. To be fair to him, such a young lad, he's only twenty. Um, but I think just having Fabinho in there with with two bona fide centre backs behind him. In in Quebec and and um, and Phillips mainly that has been the the, the big catalyst behind the transformation. Um, I wrote wrote in my piece last night. I'm trying to remember off the top of my head now. It's I think Liverpool were ten points and nine goals behind Leicester um, nine games ago. Uh, so it's incredible when you think that last night you've gone above them now on points and and the, the plus four goal difference. So that gives them enough of a cushion to know that. Victory against Palace on Sunday in front of 10,000 fans um, and it's uh, happy days. We can write off this season as a a little bit of an anomaly, a bit of an aberration and uh, we'll say no more about it. Liverpool will be in the Champions League and, and their fans can start looking at who might be coming in in the summer and going again to challenge Man City. So, um, it's taken a while for them to get going but they're in full stride now. Seven wins from the last nine, uh, unbeaten in the last nine and um, things are looking good. Yeah, better late than never, my friend. So just explain your journey last night. Then you got home at half one this morning, didn't you? I, yeah. I mean, on nights like that, you don't mind, do you? It's a, it's yeah. when you've driven far, done a, done a, done a job, and we've, and we've, 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 you know, lost three points or had a terrible game or something. Yeah. That must be hard. But last night, I think you were sort of flying, really, weren't you? You've come home and, uh, but you, so after the game, you got a lot, of, you got a lot of work to do. Obviously, then just working on the match itself and match details and stuff. Yeah, yeah, and um, it, it's every game. I mean, <clears throat> during during the, the COVID era, if you like, we, we haven't been getting two two seats for every away game. So um, I've only actually been to a handful this season. But I, I was there last night with Ian Doyle, and yeah, after the game, we've got our bits and pieces to write. We obviously we've got Jurgen in the press conference. We've got bits of video to do and, and whatever else, and and uh, we we never we never get away, you know, handy. We're always the, the last two scragglers there, to be honest, just because of. Of, of everything that, that we, you know, all the content that we have. So, um, yeah, we think we left safe more about quarter past 12, uh, got back about half one ish, and then can't sleep then, can you? Because, uh, you know, the adrenaline's pumping, and, and you, you, I watch match of the day, see it back, and um, 
Yeah, it was it was a late one, but uh, as you say, you don't mind it when uh, Liverpool Liverpool pick up the three points and uh, it, it, they have a, a good solid win. As soon as you close your eyes, Ghosty, it's goalkeeper Ghosty coming up for the last minute corner, isn't it? <laughs> um, and you're kicking every ball under the duvet. Yeah, sure. Yeah. It's been a it's been a great run of form, hasn't it? But I think if you're going to pinpoint, obviously we'll talk about the West the West Brom phenomena um, in a second. But I think that that victory at at Old Trafford was a real catalyst. I know we'd obviously been on the run since then, but that felt like for the first time a Liverpool we hadn't seen for quite a while. They felt hungry, didn't they? They looked hungry. They looked like they were trying to close the ball down. They looked like they'd finally gone. Oh, that was that thing we used to do, and. Um, and and it paid dividends, and and I think that result has definitely has definitely pushed them forward to to what they've done since, Sean. Yeah, definitely. I mean, like like you guys said before, the whole the whole run's been impressive, but they needed a little pick me up after those disappointing results against Leeds and Newcastle. Just about got over the line against Southampton. I know it was a two 0 win, but it was a little bit edgy. I thought Allison's leadership there was was key, really getting that back line through. But I think you're absolutely right. United was probably. If I'm speaking from uh, the, the fan perspective and, and parking the professional perspective a little bit, United was one of the first games where um, I wasn't actually working for that one. I was, you know, just watching it on the couch. But you really felt that buzz and that thrill again of, of like you said, Fitzy, seeing the Liverpool that we all know has been there lurking beneath the surface a little bit. was was great as well to kind of give United a taste of their own medicine. You know, they've been the comeback kings really, haven't they, this season? But after that early setback, Liverpool were just great. They were They were at it pretty much throughout the game after that didn't really let up obviously you had the release as well of that final goal from Salah which was scored in great circumstances another another really late one against United which he's, he's done a couple of times now but yeah I think I think like you guys have said when you, when you try to scratch your head a little bit and figure out where this consistency and this good form has come from Fabinho back in midfield has, has been massive and the effect that's had on Thiago I think it's really unlocked the different side of his game he looks so much more confident now and seeing those little shimmies we used to do all the time for Bayern where he'd suddenly be ahead of someone who's trying to press him in midfield and he's, he's playing that little bit further forward, looking a lot more dangerous. You know, the end product that some people were calling on want more to see from him, we've seen and could have could have had a goal last night. He, uh, you know, played played very well without it, but was very good. But yeah, I just think overall it's that little bit of consistency, isn't there? And a remarkable stat that, there was, that the lads put in their post-match coverage last night. Phillips and... Williams, if they play one more time this season, which we'd imagine they will do against Palace, that'll have been the most selected centre-back partnership in the Premier League for Liverpool this season. I think jointly with uh, perhaps Fabinho and Matip. But yeah, it's just Liverpool look, they look like the Liverpool old of old a little bit. You know, the, the team very much isn't, you know, given who's uh, currently playing at, at centre-back. And, you know, Thiago's obviously a new face and, and still bedding in despite him looking more impressive. But yeah, I think I think they just all have got used to each other's games a little bit, and like we said earlier, Allison's made certain allowances for the centre backs he knows are in front of him, but it's just looked all together more cohesive and impressive, and you know it's great for this run to the Champions League, but I think it's good for next season as well. They can hopefully carry this momentum through into the summer. Absolutely, and who's this new kid we got up front? Bob Robert Firmino, his name is. He's uh, he's banging the goals in, isn't he? Where's he been? <laughs> he's playing. I mean, he put played to uh, to Man United and he opened the scoring last night when it was feeling like, you know, uh, Liverpool of recent times may have sort of been struggling uh, because the front two struggled yet again. It, it is remarkable to think that one's, one's one goal shy of a golden boot and uh, and, uh, and and still is, is I mean, Salah missed another glut of chances last night. Mane equally. Um, 
thankfully, Bobby is sort of finding a bit of form when we need him because as as that was going a little bit stale last night, he comes up with the first goal and really forces sort of Burnley into into playing there. Um, you know, ninety percent less long balls over the top. Um, but it's we, we've needed that because the, because the front two are still spluttering their way forward, aren't they, Gorsley? Man, I certainly is, yeah. It hasn't, it hasn't been a great season for him. Um, it hasn't been a great season for Firmino. But um, I, I don't think we can be too critical of Salah. He's, he's got 31 goals. So, um, you know, where would Liverpool be without that? I mean, it's just, it, this, is a, this is his third golden boot in a row that he's up for anyway or something like that. So, yeah. you, can't, you, you can't. It is remarkable that he is so sort of, you know, scattergun uh, in front of goal and yet still doing a remarkable job. Yeah, it, it, it weirdly goes under the radar, doesn't he, with, with his goals. He, he just pick up. They'll pick up ones and twos here and there, and, and you don't really notice it. It's, it's so so strange, really, in, in the wider context of um of, of the, the top Premier League players this season when he, he perhaps you'll get more of a mention. But yeah, um, for me, you know, just, just at the right time, maybe. Um, you know, we got a couple against United, and that, and that was huge, wasn't it? That 40 win last week. I think that took a lot of people by surprise, actually, particularly with the way it started, first 20 minutes or so. Liverpool really weren't at it and then slowly come into the game. And then last night, um, Liverpool were creating chances, weren't they? But just scuffing, scuffing them, you know, when it comes to the, the finish. And, and Ben Mee put in a couple of excellent blocks early on from, from Salah. And um, Robertson popped up at, at the perfect time, didn't he? You know, arriving late into the box, good finish past um, Will Norris, the, the standing keeper. And then I, I felt that once Liverpool <clears throat> took the lead, I never really felt like they were under too much pressure. I mean, Burnley fans made made a you know a night of it. Every time they were going over the halfway line, they were roaring them on, and, and that in a way makes it sound like Burnley were more of a threat than they were. I think if you watch that match on mute or there was no fans in the ground, Burnley didn't have too much to go at. They did. They had one clear off the line, um, and Chris Wood probably should have done better in the first half, and he put it into the side netting. But other than that, I always felt Liverpool were fairly comfortable. Um, Burnley's just content to get 10 men behind the ball, knock it long to wood, every chance they got. But sometimes it wasn't even, you know, to him. It was just generally, he's up there somewhere, so he'll chase after it and Liverpool will just come on back again. And, and I thought Thiago was superb. I thought could have been easy for him to have hidden a little bit or been knocked out of a stride by Brownhill and, and uh, Cork and, and the rest of Burnley's midfield. But he, he didn't have any of it, did he? I, I thought he really showed his class last night and, Turf Moor, you know, when you imagine English football with all its cliches, Turf Moor is probably the one in the Premier League, isn't it, that probably evokes all of those. So he could have easily have uh, just turned in a bit of an ordinary performance last night and, and left it to the likes of Fabinho and Wijnaldum to, to get their hands dirty. But I thought Thiago was excellent. Uh, and his best game was against West Brom on Sunday. So he's another one who, who's coming into form at uh, the perfect time, to be honest. Yeah, it's amazing to think, lads, isn't it, that you've got Jota and you've got Thiago and you've got Phillips and you've got Williams. They haven't experienced an Anfield yet with a, with a, with a, with, a, with fans. It's extraordinary to think that they've done so much for this side and 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 they haven't had that glory of. I mean, I hope you know, ten thousand Liverpool fans is thirty thousand in anyone else's currency, so they will have a lot of noise and a lot of um, a lot of backing. But it's incredible to think that they, these lads. Haven't even ex- haven't really shared any experience of what being at a, a packed Anfield is like. Let's just talk briefly about those two last night. Particularly, I mean, Reese Williams is such a young kid and he's doing such an incredible job. But there's there's something about Phillips, isn't it, that people have just really took to their hearts. I think because there's that feeling that at 24 he's been 
He's been given the Van Dyke role, not 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 even a centre back role. He's been given the primary centre back back role now. So talk about being thrown to the deep end. But what a performance last night! He wears his heart on his sleeve, don't he? You can tell. You know, you can tell. I mean, when he blazed over the bar, but it was still a lovely bring down. He's got a, he's got a, he's got a bit of techers to him. But the header was great, mate. One and and of course he scores one and heads one off the line. I mean, it was a real man of the match performance from a from a from um, from a kid who really deserves a lot of applaudits, Sean. Oh, massively, and I think we've got to the stage now where it, it, it's interesting. Over the last few weeks with Phillips, because just we just put a piece on there uh, with some of the reaction from the national media, and one of them was saying, you know, Liverpool have found an unlikely new leader who's who's been the kind of key figure through these difficult times, and and I think that's true, and and it's. You almost now start to think, well, Liverpool are looking a bit more like them all, their old selves. So, is there potentially a future for Phillips next season? Because I think we all thought prior to maybe this this run that he's been fantastic. He's been a really good stand-in. Probably never going to be more than a fifth or sixth choice defender and, and an option and a bit of a plan B. But with Liverpool starting to do the things that you expect of a normal Liverpool team to do, you know, he's, he's, he's managing to to perform as part of that unit in, in behind. So you do wonder if, if there's a conversation to be had. Klopp said that last night after the game that, you know, we'll get Palace out the way, we'll finish the season and hopefully finish in the top four. And then those conversations will turn to the likes of Phillips and Williams and see what the next step is for them. But I think he's almost, he's clouded things a little bit for Klopp with Liverpool rediscovering their identity and how well he's playing. But yeah, I think he's, you know, he's, he's a fantastic player in both boxes, isn't he? Like you say, Fitz, he's, Anything that comes into the Liverpool area, you're confident that it'll head away. And I think if he was next to Van Dijk, they'd, they'd almost be kind of impenetrable in that respect from set pieces and, and what have you. But then he is showing this these flashes of danger at the other end. And I think a goal's been coming for the for the last few games, hasn't it? You know, against United, he was he was up there and kind of got his unlikely assist almost and perhaps should have won a penalty. And there's been other occasions. I think he had a we have a header against Southampton where he just didn't quite get the technique right. But yeah, it's been it's certainly been brewing. Um, so yeah, I think there's just so much to be impressed about him, you know. With and I think his interviews have been great after matches as well recently, like after the Burnley game where he said, you know, uh, would he take a goal or a clearance off the line every game? And he was he was without hesitation said the clearance off the line. You know, that's my job. That's what I do for the team. And I thought his interview after United was fantastic as well because it just summed up his reaction to that early own goal or Fernandez goal, whatever you want to call it. He was totally unflustered. Played without pressure. He played as almost as if that hadn't happened. Certainly didn't let it affect him. I think that that's a massive asset if you can do that and operate with that mentality as a player. So yeah, I think he's he's asked Liverpool and, and Jurgen Klopp and Michael Edwards specifically a big question now. And at the very least, you think he's put a bit of value on himself if his future doesn't lie at Liverpool, but maybe it does as a, as a fourth or fifth choice centre half now. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Ghost, even even Paul, sorry, I know you're gonna say so I'm just gonna jump in. Even when he first had his little Glimpses in the side, and then and then Klopp took him out again. He he he, he shone in them as well, didn't he? Because from the very first little glimpses, people saying, "Hang on a minute, let's get that lad back in." And it almost seemed to be a thing where Klopp didn't quite trust it, so kept Fab and kept putting Hendo in and Fab in there. When 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 the kid was sort of going, "Well, I, I can do this job, Gaffer. I really can." And and he's uh, he's more than proved it, Paul. Yeah, well, Liverpool are on a, a nine-game unbeaten run. They've won seven of those. And the two that they didn't win was was when Phillips was out injured. And if you look at the goals he conceded in those games against Newcastle and Leeds, he were balls into the box that, that it is bread and butter, that he, he'd be attacking like a, a demon and he'd be knocking away. So, um, 
might suffer or already be secured had he not got that injury. You know, which has been a season of centre back injuries for Liverpool, and and that one has probably gone a little bit under the radar because of um, I'd, I'd certainly the Leeds goal. I don't I don't see Liverpool conceding that that goal from the corner inside the six yard box if if Nath Phillips is in the team. But um, as Sean mentioned there about his future, it, it's an interesting one because. Klopp was asked about Phillips last night in his press conference, and, and it wasn't anything to do with with what's next for and what's what's going to happen in, in his future. It was kind of just almost, you know, um, you must be delighted for him. And, and he, he said, "Look, um, let's get let's get to the end of the season. Let's get beyond the Palace game, and then we'll look at it, um, and, and we'll look at what's next." And um, it was a bit, a bit of an interesting one, and it, it, it could mean one way or the other. It could mean he's in line for. A new and improved deal, which he probably deserves on the back of this season, but it could also mean that Liverpool are happy to to listen to offers for him. And I think he's proven, you know, he's played 19 times for Liverpool's first team now, and I think he's proven across those games that he's got a career in the top flight. Now it's up to him whether he's happy being what would it be next season, fifth, fifth, fifth or sixth choice, fifth maybe, um, or whether he thinks that he can go and have a crack somewhere else, you know, somewhere like Burnley, it'd be ideal for him, wouldn't it? You know, they defend in numbers. Um, defenders aren't asked to do anything particularly uh, extraordinary on the ball. It's just get your blocks in, get your tackles in, get your headers in, and, and that is him to a T. So um, I think if he doesn't want to be, you know, an also run in this Liverpool squad, um, he's definitely proven that he, he can go and play somewhere else in, in the Premier League. Yeah, he's he's more than earned that, hasn't he? He's been absolutely fine. And Reese Williams as well. Let's have a word for Reese Williams. He's a young kid who was, yeah. you know, playing non-league or right out the game, wasn't he? A couple of seasons ago, or last season even, and he was brought in, and then he's he's done um, he's done remarkably well. He's learning on the job, and that's such a difficult thing to do when you're learning on the job as a centre back in in um, in the Liverpool team that was that's been struggling all season really. So he's done a phenomenal job as well, and. And you can imagine he's probably going to be someone who they're not going to want to cash in on. They want to, but they want to going to, they're going to want to see him develop, Sean, into into what he can be. Oh, absolutely. And I think the way you've got to look at it with him is is, is absolutely what you've said. That this experience now will be invaluable. You know, every single performance I think you've got to see through that lens of this is he's playing ahead of his time. That you know this this is not what anyone would have intended for him, but he's he's dealt with it very very well. You know, there will be mistakes, of course, but. I think last night the, the Burnley game was an interesting one because I thought Williams probably looked the more composed early on and, and Phillips was struggling a little bit. But then it seemed to flip and obviously Phillips ended the game very strongly and, and got his goal and what have you. But, you know, as, as the game wore on, there were, there were a few little incidents. There was one ball over the top where Williams was a little bit ex- exposed in terms of how you deal with it. But, yeah, there's, there's just absolutely so much more learning he can do. And I think, like you said, it wasn't that long ago that he was at Kidderminster, wasn't it? And then suddenly now he's playing top-level football, he's chasing down the Champions League, he's played in the Champions League, you know, never mind um, the, the top four race and trying to earn a place in it again next season. So, yeah, I think I think the next step for him would surely be a lot more first-team football at a slightly lower level, um, you know, but I just hope that he takes takes what he's learned this season and keeps on developing his game and, you know, there's, yeah, there's, there's big potential for him to come in the future, absolutely. Emotion on the Blood Red Channel. Can you see a situation where they are going to go for um, a big centre back because they're not going to want to go through this again? Um, you can't imagine that they're going to turn around and say, "Surely, well, we've got what we need now." 
Um, even with Gomez coming back and Van Dijk coming back, you've got to feel that the, the, this Liverpool team, this Liverpool um, board and the club and the transfer policy must surely say we need to never make this mistake again. We need to never put the fans and the club and the team and the coach in a position where we are. I mean, you know, for want of a better explanation, last season's heroics have just sort of been brushed under the carpet, haven't they, because of what's happened. Mm -hmm. And it was beyond anyone's control, the injuries, but certainly planning for those injuries wasn't and it was a big mistake. So do you think, do you think, Gorsty, that there's a possibility that they're going to say, look, regardless of how... um, Williams has played and Phillips has played. You know we're gonna have to get someone in to um, to stand alongside Van Dijk, who is a real world class proven centre back. Yeah, Liverpool are looking at bringing a centre back in this summer. Um, I was told a few weeks back that they're looking at as many as four or five, and and we know that that's what Liverpool do. They, they kind of whittle it down to a very short list, and then they they almost kind of put the feelers out for all of them, if you like. Um, so. Kabak is included in that list, so we know that he's one of them. Ibrahim Akanate of, of RB Leipzig, he's another one. Um, possibly Ben White at Brighton, and I know that they did scout him while he was on loan at Leeds um, last season. Was that only last season? Feels like longer ago. Um, and I know that um, Soyuncu of Leicester is someone who the who the you know they do think is a good player. So perhaps he's someone that they're going to look at as well. But I think at the moment probably Kanate seems to be the front runner. I mean. Kabak has done okay, hasn't he? Um, he's only 21. He only turned 21 in March. He's a young lad who's come to a new league and, and he's done okay. Um, the only issue I, I've got with him would be could I see Liverpool paying 18 million for him? Um, probably not, given the funds are going to be a little bit stretched this summer. Um, so I'd imagine that Canate is the front runner at this point. Liverpool, um, the only scenario where I see Liverpool signing two centre-backs would be if they can haggle Schalke, who are in all kinds of financial trouble and they've just been relegated from the Bundesliga. If they can knock a few million off at Kabach, Ashkin Price, that potentially opens the door for, for two centre-backs arriving. But um, certainly after you know what one big statement centre-back signing they were like this summer and, and it does look as though Canate is uh, you know, winning that race at the moment. Yeah, it's just an interesting one. And actually, the way it is at the moment with Nat Phillips's form is that you, you would put Phillips ahead of Kabak, wouldn't you? So if you're going to spend a, a, a shed load of money on a player, he's got to be going straight to the sides. And if he's looking dubious against against uh, Nat Phillips, no disrespect because he's been brilliant, but it sort of puts his... It sort of puts him in place there, really, doesn't it? All right, well, listen, let's talk about the, the heroics, the phenomenon that was the West Brom game. I mean, I know we will talk about last night, obviously, but... <clears throat> You know, you come off the Man United game and then you've got the West Brom and then you've got, you know, big gay Toby Jughead who doesn't like us, loads of contempt for us, wants to, you know, wants to cause us as much pain and and unhappiness as he possibly can. And he sets out his teams to do that, doesn't he? Let's be honest with you. You know, a nine-man defence and then he whops one over the top. He's always the same kind of game, isn't it? Um, which was working right up until that glorious moment. And lads, as Liverpool fans... We're running out of digits to count the amount of times this team has done such an incredible moment of magic, haven't we? You know, the Istanbul, the, the Steven Gerrard, West Ham FA Cup equaliser. You can go on and on and on. The corner, most recently, against Barcelona. But that, last, you know, when you're sitting there watching that, I'm going to ask what was going through your heads. Because for me, it was, that's it. That's, well, that's certainly 
It's certainly two points dropped and and and, and a badly needed because we knew we needed every single game up to this point. And then when he comes striding up and you think, and even what, what I thought was marvellous was Martin Tyler gives it that, you know, Man United kiss the badge kind of, and up comes the goalie to save the day sort of thing with, you know, more than a tongue in cheek. Um, and he's just the header from the gods. I mean, it was just, what tell us what was going through your mind, Sean, when that happened, because I couldn't speak. I was... It was one of those ones where, where I was looking around and my kids going, did that just, is that just, did he just, what what did it feel like to you when that, oh. I mean, that Phillips comes from nowhere and nearly takes it off him. Um, but it was just a phenomenal header, first and foremost, but it's just, you so, gods are red, isn't he? Surely gods are red. Oh, well, well, that's it. I mean, you know, Alison's uh, he's quite a religious and spiritual guy himself, isn't he? You often see his posts and, uh, you know, I've, I've always thought that, if 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 there is such a thing, you know, uh, as as a deity, are they going to be too bothered by sports? And you know, which side wins the game? But maybe there is something in it. But oh, honestly, I mean, we we perhaps made the mistake at the FO on Sunday of thinking, well, this is a slightly smaller scale game than some of the ones we, Liverpool have been involved with either side. So there was there was slightly fewer of us on working it, and I I was working it, and I'll be honest, I was I was doing the social media for it, so I was just about to tee up a one-one full-time um, tweet, tweet and Facebook post and, you know, canvas the fans for disappointment and where we go from here. And then, uh, you know, the first thing I kind of saw, because I almost had my head down looking at the laptop, heard, heard, heard the goal go in, heard Carragher's kind of scream, then pretty much almost dropped my laptop and just had to had to take 30 seconds to take it in and then, and then get back on it. But just, like you say, Liverpool's ability to kind of turn mud into gold and, somehow snatch a fairy tale from the jaws of terrible disappointment, which they've done this season, but they've done again and again in moments, in games, in situations. In that sense, perhaps perhaps we shouldn't be surprised. And I suppose, you know, Alisson has to some extent, um, you know, hinted at it because he's been up a few times this season, hasn't he, uh, for corners, given the, the terrible nature of some of those early performances. But oh, it's just it's just absolutely unfathomable. I, I still can't believe it. I still watch it every time it pops up on social media. and. That'll be the case for a while, but but that's the point, isn't it? You know, I've probably only just stopped watching Trent's corner against Barcelona every time that pops up on Twitter, and just when just when that greatest hit is, you know, starting to starting to wear slightly thin, <laughs> or, or pop something like this, which is just even more ridiculous and, and unbelievable, but at the same time, so inherently Liverpool. Incredible. There's a great version of it on Twitter that I passed on that was um, I retweeted. Which is in slow motion to the Rocky music. It's just, I mean, I swear to God, I wanted to put a pair of shorts on and go run around the block. It was just, it was just inspirational. And, and um, I mean, I think, I think God had St. Peter in a headlock rubbing his head, didn't he? Slapping him on the head and when that went in. It was, it was, um, and, for, and for someone who's had such, and we've all had a bad year, but boy, oh boy, has that kid suffered, you know, and losing his dad in such tragic circumstances, not being able to go to the funeral, not being able to see his family. You know, very much suffering alone in silence and then having to take that onto a football pitch. You know, you could see it, it, it was getting to him. He was making mistakes on the pitch as well. And he was just, obviously, he's been, he was great against Southampton, as you said before. And and just that moment of, it was just poetic justice. When it was just beautiful, Gorsi, to see to see him go up and do that and keep our, you know, I, I've, I've mentioned on a few occasions to people in the A-Loss or whatever, or not the A-Loss, but, you know, talking to matches, Real Madrid and stuff. Liverpool remind me of one of those, you know, when you watch the London Marathon and you're like five miles out and it cuts to some bloke in a chicken costume and he's been, 
He's been weaving a, across the road for about four miles. And every time he goes to fall over, he just finds a little spark and keeps going. And yeah. this has been Liverpool's season, hasn't it? You know, we're, we're in the chicken costume and we're going, no, leave me, I'll get there, we'll get there. And that, that header just kind of summed it up. It was, it was a remarkable moment, Paul. It was unbelievable, wasn't it? Uh, first, first ever uh, Liverpool goalkeeper to score a goal. When you think of 129 years of history, it's, it's remarkable. And how important it was, it wasn't like he's come up to rescue a point in a home draw. This was to keep them on course. Replacing the Champions League, and but not only a place in the, in the Champions League, basically keeping them, keeping them on course in in the, in the you know Klopp's tenure because... If Liverpool don't qualify for this Champions League, it sets them back years. They're probably not going to be able to attract the players they want because of the finances and the fact that they don't have the Champions League, um, which puts them further back next season when they're trying to go toe-to-toe with Man City again. So this one goal has just breathed fresh life into everything, hasn't it? And and if Liverpool finish off the job on, on Sunday now, then, then this goal is going to be played back with... With, with you know with some of the most iconic goals in the club's history because it, it was that important, unbelievable. Um, it's worth literally worth millions, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. And and his interview after the game, I thought was was brilliant because you know so often you hear players in these post match interviews and he don't really say too much, but he was talking about how it's been difficult losing his father. He hasn't been able to go to the funeral. Um, it's been tough for them on the pitch and and the, the whole squad have felt that pressure going into it and. Um, I thought thought he was great, and he, he thanked Everton in Man City and um, the other teams for sending him letters of condolences and so on. So I thought thought he handled that really well. And um, I know uh, in the in the dressing room after the game they were watching it back, and, and he must have watched it a, a dozen or so times. Just apparently the, the entire dressing room was just shocked. You know they were stunned because <laughs> just witnessed. And I, I thought Fabinho summed it up actually with his. His post on social media, but he's just looking at the canvas, shaking his head, puffing out his cheeks as though, what have we just witnessed? Because um, in a season that's taken so much from, from Liverpool, um, there hasn't been a whole lot to shout about, but I think when the final whistle blows, everyone will be looking back on that as one of the, the iconic moments of, of the Klopp era. Yeah, it's extraordinary. And I can't help it, and I know it's evil of me, but I, whenever things like this happen, I always just put myself... In the place of an Evertonian who's been watching, <laughs> looking at his phone, you know, like the three-three Istanbul, and remember me mate going mad, going, "I was clean ill when I left," and and, uh, <laughs> and this idea that they've looked at their clock at ninety-three minutes, ninety-four minutes, and then, and then looked at it again and go, "Wow!" I mean, there's some great st- stuff I've heard as well of people just, I mean, just losing the plot completely. I mean, it's just, it just adds to the giggles, doesn't it? When when, when something like that happens. When you t- we were talking briefly about, well, we've just been talking about about how the reaction of the team is remarkable, and a lot's been made of the Genie and Alden um, reaction because of or non-reaction. It was a very very strange thing, wasn't it? And I don't know whether that was because because you know, look, his, his commitment to the club is, is is not under any question for me. I mean. But it was such a strange thing. You don't know whether it was shock. You don't know whether he was expected to be VAR. It was just a... I mean, even, you know, the Cube, even uh, Shaqiri come running from miles uh, as fast as his little legs would carry him. But uh, Genie just sort of trotted over and it was it was bizarre. And, and a lot has been made out of it. There's a lot of Liverpool fans 
I've tweeted and posted that they were really disappointed by it, but surely not to read into that, Sean, is there? But it was a, it was an odd way to celebrate such a an incredible moment. Yeah, it was it was a little bit odd, but yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd agree that that's not you know it's it's not it's not the main kind of takeaway really is it from for what happened. I'd probably equate it to the Mane stuff against United, you know, when he didn't play and at the end he kind of snubbed Klopp's hug or handshake and. I just think sometimes, you know, we look at footballers and think, well, that's not how I'd react in that situation. But, you know, if, if, if we look at it as us being disappointed with our own performance in our own roles or perhaps being disappointed with the decisions made by our bosses sometimes, I think if you look at it through that lens, then, you know, we've all been there, haven't we? And, and that's what happens to everyone in every situation. So, yeah, I, I think you're right. It's, it's not a big deal. It's just one of those small moments which then does get amplified on social media because, you know, we're not at the games and we're all following it on on social and on TV, and it's just the nature of the world at the moment, isn't it? But, yeah, I think the real story there and, and what you take from the players is, is like you guys have said about what happened in the dressing room. I think just that that whole release on the pitch as well, I almost think that was the most I've seen the players kind of respond emotionally to anything all season because it must have been so strange and so stale for them to be in games without fans. You know, we said before, how much of a difference it's going to feel and, and make for them with 10,000 in there for Palace. But, you know, they've had to develop their own momentum and intensity in games and with VAR and all that type of thing, as we've mentioned, the release when there's a goal isn't the same either. But with this one, you knew there was going to be nothing wrong with it. They all just went for it. I think, as you guys have said, the, the particular personal circumstances around Alisson made it even more emotionally heightened. You know, I'm, I just, on a personal level for him, I'm just absolutely delighted because it must have been so hard to get through that process and, and not have all the normal channels to take your mind off something that's, that's you know, obviously very tragic. But like Gorty said before about his post-match interview, I think I'd like to think there was, you know, almost a little bit of, of release for him in, in all of this. And, you know, that can somehow make him feel better a little bit about everything that's happened. Because, you know, it did, it did feel when he was speaking afterwards a little bit cathartic and a bit of an emotional outpouring, which... Obviously, he's got every right to do in the circumstances of the game and the circumstances of the last few months. So, yeah, God, I, I just just hope they get the job done against Palace. So that goal can can mean as much as you know we hope it can for for time to come. Yeah, absolutely. And I think in that post-match interview, he showed the world that what kind of a guy he was. Wanting in a very short space of time, you can hate Liverpool, you can hate everything about this club, but when you see the human side of footballers like that, he was. By all accounts, and probably Ghosty and you, Sean, probably know more about it than me because you've 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 probably had cause to be in the same in company with him and know what he's like. But he he just came across as such a genuine guy who suffered, and I think connected with with so many people who've suffered over the last year and God knows what um, with this with this ridiculous pandemic and uh, and uh, yeah, you're absolutely bang on, right, Sean? Let's hope it counts for something. I mean, it counted for something here anyway, and I know he'll have taken for something from that, but. Um, Let's hope it does count count for something come uh, come Sunday. Poetry in motion on the Blood Red Channel. You know, Thiago's had a bit of stick. I mean, I've been banging on for, for quite a while. Un, undeserved stick. Um, I think I think a lot of the media got on this thing about every time the camera went on, on Thiago. Oh, you know, Thiago's had a really disappointing start to his Liverpool career. These people clearly weren't watching Liverpool games with Thiago in. Yeah, he was missed time and tackles. He was desperately trying to get involved in the game. But there were moments there where he was part of the victim of this imbalance of the Liverpool team that we've all suffered from. But last night and the game before, 
um, really starting to show his metal now, Paul, and he really starting to show what a class act he is. The way he gets that foot on the ball, and he did it. He does this lovely move where it, when when the ball comes towards him, he sort of takes it forward a step, yeah. and and leaves leaves the, the the nearest marker, uh, you know, a yard or two behind. He did it a few times last night. A few lovely balls over the top. Didn't quite get there. Some of them did. Some of them didn't. But he's uh, we're really getting a taste of what we've got now, Paul, aren't we, with Thiago? Yeah, hundred percent. And and I think you're right. Before when you mentioned about. He's one of the players who who never played in front of a crowd at Anfield. So, if you think about when he signed for Liverpool in September last season, he's joining the club. He's flying to Merseyside for his medical. He's thinking, right, I'm going to be playing with Virgil Van Dijk. I'm going to be playing in, alongside Jordan Henderson. I'm going to be playing with Sadio Mane, Mohamed Salah in front of 54,000 fans at Anfield at some point, hopefully. And that hasn't happened, has it? Um, you know, no fans at the ground all season, and he hasn't played with the team that he signed for. He hasn't played for the champions of England, which is what Liverpool were undoubtedly best team in the land when he joined. Um, for, for many other reasons, of course, um, injuries to key players. The closest he came to it was when he played in the derby. Um, Van Dijk went off after 12 minutes and Adrian was in goal instead of Alisson. Um, so he's never actually played with the the, the best 11 that Klopp was able to name. Um, so hopefully that'll come next season. Um, he Got COVID, didn't he? And then um, he got injured in the derby and then he come back into the team just as Liverpool were starting to, to tip over the edge. And um, it's just been a pretty much a, an accumulative effect of all of that. But um, he's been growing in confidence game by game over the last five or six games. And I thought he was good against Southampton. He was um, excellent against United. He had his best game for me against West Brom. And, and he was excellent again last night. And he, he just does that move, doesn't he? Just that shimmy when he gets the ball midfielders try to press him and, and he's away from it with that move and he's always looking to go forward with it which is what I like and um, he's somebody who's got so many different types of passes in his locker that when he's on the ball you don't know where he's going to pass it because there's probably six options available to him where you know we can only see one or two so um, look really looking forward to him getting a good pre-season under his belt a um, few more players coming back from injury and then He'll be absolutely flying next season and I've no doubt about him that he'll be world class. Yeah, absolutely. And Sean, another... Uh, well, you can talk about Thiago as well. I'm sure you've got an opinion on that. He's, uh, he, he just looks like... He's got that old school kind of shin pads half rolled down, socks half rolled down kind of... Oh, He's like one of them outlasses used to get at the pub who, who could play with a nail gut. You know what I mean? <laughs> who could just who could just meg you with a nail gut. Uh, he just looks like he has that simplicity to him. And, and, um, and more, we've got there's so much more to come from him. And in a balanced side, Sean, it could be frightening, couldn't it? Oh, absolutely devastating. And I think, like like you guys have said, the ball is well and truly rolling now, especially since Fabinho's taken that deeper position and unlocked Thiago to go forward. And yeah, he's doing everything that we thought and knew we'd, we'd eventually see from him. But just looking at the stats now, because like, like you fellas have alluded to, there's this thing that's been used as a bit of a stick to beat him with about end product, you know, goals and assists. Obviously, he got his goal against Southampton, could well have scored against Burnley, came very close to doing so. But just looking now, in the Bundesliga for Bayern, there was one season where he got six in the league, fair enough. You know, that's, that's a bit of an outlier. But all the others, it's not two or three. So, you know... He's played 21 league games for Liverpool. He's got one goal. Could have had another. As we've said, this is in a season where everything that could go wrong has gone wrong. And he's been injured. He's been in and out of the team. He had, he had COVID as well. And I wonder you know, how much of a factor that is just in terms of rhythm. You know, a lot of Liverpool's players who have fallen ill with that have had patches where they've, they've significantly dipped. You know, Mane 
Trent as well. Um, you know, I was wondering in time to come whether that'll be seen as, as something that did set players back more significantly, you know, perhaps than we thought. But yeah, I just think there's next season it is it is very exciting. And and going back, I suppose, to what we were saying before about the centre half situation, I, I think in a way Klopp has proved right that Fabinho could be an emergency centre half because think back to those games against Chelsea and others, and he did do very well. But for the overall balance and performance of the side, you need him in that defensive midfield position. I think the likes of Thiago need someone behind them doing that type of dirty work and, you know, patrolling and screening the pitch so they've got a bit more license to go forward. So I think for Fabinho's sake and Thiago's sake, they need to get the centre-half situation right because of that positive knock-on effect into midfield. But yeah, I just think next year could really be Thiago's year. If he hits the ground running, has a good pre-season, knows his surroundings, gets to know his teammates a bit more on and off the pitch and yeah, plenty of scope there for, for even more success. Yeah, it's going to be an interesting third member of the midfield, isn't it? Because with Genie presumably gone, I know Hendo's going to be back in it. But you've got the navigators of the world and you've got the Oxley chamberlains who came on last night and really and really um, reminded Klopp of what he can do because that was an incredible, lovely little shimmy in the box and a great drilled uh, near post goal. Um, just at a time when, again, one more goal adds to the pressure of Leicester. We wanted us. A two or three or four nil we've got the three nil exactly what we needed to push it over the line as much as we can. So he's another one in the mix. Naby Keita, I mean, I've been <clears throat> so wanted things to work for Naby. It just hasn't clicked, has it? There have been moments, but it just feels like his spirit's not there or is, you know, physically clearly not there because he's injured every, you know, he injures himself up in a bag of crisps. So yeah, it's a worry, isn't it? Do you think, uh, Ghosty, do you think we might be seeing the... the the end of Naby Keita in Liverpool? I don't, but only because I don't think it's going to be a market where clubs are going to be spending big money. I think the only... I mean... I, 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 yeah, I mean, some Premier League clubs will probably look at him and think, yeah, he could be could do a job for us, but then there is that question mark over his injury record, which is shocking, isn't it? I mean, let's face it, it's... It's not news now when he's injured. It's news when he's in the squad, and you don't bat. They don't bat an eyelid when he's not there. He's just, oh, well, Kate's got another injury then. Um, but his, his stock's still at its highest in Germany. But the, the issue for that is Germany generally don't pay the prices that Premier League clubs want for their players. So if Liverpool are going to offload them, they're going to take a significant hit on the fifty million they paid for them. Um, but I think they'd have to accept that anyway because it hasn't shown anything near enough to, to say that Liverpool could get the money back on him. Um, and he's coming to the end of his third season now and, and you're still waiting for him to get to, to take off. And, of course, it's not always his fault. He's sometimes he's got injuries, he's in and out the team, there's a lot of competition for midfield places. But this player is um, Liverpool's third most expensive player of all time and, and you're not even batting an eyelid when he's, he's going five, six games without getting in the squad. So, um, I mean... Reluctantly, it's it's been a massive disappointment for me. I mean, I, I was I had massive hopes for him when he joined. There is a, a a talent in there, but if you can't get it on the pitch, you know what what what's the point? So um, maybe he'll get another crack at it next season, just because I can't really see Liverpool find a buyer for him. But um, if Liverpool could get thirty million upwards for him, they'd, they'd back your hand off. I'm, I'm sure of it. Yeah, I, th I mean, I think, Sean, they're going to, if they are going to offload, they are going to be accepting the fact that they're going to be losing 20-odd mil easy. Um, 
And if they do, maybe they look at it. If they do offload them and they do get 20 mil or they get whatever they get off them, it's going to go towards a signing for the centre-back. I don't know. It's just a tricky one. I, say, I wanted it to work for them. But you've got, I mean, you've got Curtis Jones in the side ahead of him now, really, haven't you? Let's be honest with you. The young lad who hasn't cost us a penny uh, in that respect. And that maybe even would, would cloud the judgment of Liverpool about keeping them. Maybe, well, we've got one there for nothing, so we might as well get what we can off them. And again, Oxlade-Chamberlain, you wonder whether his future lies elsewhere. Another one blighted with injury, but... You know, plenty of good performances from Oxley Chamberlain. It would be a shame to see him go, wouldn't it, Chum? Oh, absolutely, yeah. You know, he came on, didn't he, against Burnley and showed what we all know he can do, that incisive running, quick feet, and just a great drill finish with his, with his left foot as well. But the, the pair of them, it's difficult, isn't it? I suppose with Ox, it's, he's had a few significant injuries. You know, he's still fairly young, though, isn't he? What, is he only 27? So, I, I'd... Yeah, I'd, I'd lean towards persisting with with Oxley Chamberlain, especially because he's, you know, he's an English player as well, which helps with squad factors. He's fairly versatile in terms of where he can fit in and where he can play. Seems like a great presence in the squad and dressing room as well. Cater though, I just I've I've never found the Liverpool player more of a conundrum than him because, you know, there've been times when I've been to games in Anfield and not thought he's played particularly well. He's he's failed the kind of eye test a little bit when you just saw him and you know other players have had to drag him into position tactically and give him a shout about certain things. But then, you know, I follow a few guys on Twitter who are really hot on the kind of stats and numbers and, and you know, they, they know where to look for all that and pull it all together. And, and they often present the evidence that, he, he, you know, he, he is progressive with the ball. He's a good presser. He's, he is all the things that you want from a midfielder. And even when he lacks minutes, the output is there. So, you know, you can't really argue with that either. I suppose, you know, I, to kind of conclude on, you know, should he or shouldn't he go? I'd agree with Gorsby in the sense of, this probably isn't the market now to move him on unless there was some offer that Liverpool absolutely couldn't refuse. And I suppose Wijnaldum leaving does open things up a little bit more because he's, he's missed the minutes, isn't he? He's the exact opposite. He's always available and usually one of the first names on the team sheet, certainly up to this point now when it does look like he's off. But you make a good point, Fitzy, about Curtis Jones. You wouldn't want to block the pathway for him. Looks a very, very capable player. You know, Perhaps had a little bit more exposure this season than he would have done because of other midfield injuries, but he's taken his chance and grasped it and he's looked every inch of first team player now. So it's a difficult one, but I think the departure of Wijnaldum, if that's how it does turn out, will open up things a little bit more in those two more advanced midfield positions ahead of Fabinho. So I think the scope, especially if Liverpool get back into Europe and, and, in, the, and in the Champions League, have a run in the other Cups, the, the scope to give everyone a go, hopefully. And fingers crossed we see a bit more from Cater. Yeah, absolutely. And we'll finish off now, lads. But remarkably, it's looking um, remarkably, but fantastically for Liverpool fans, it's looking like Gareth Southgate, the the um, the oracle that he is, uh, is deciding that the England squad would be a better place without Trent Alexander. Now, look, the guy's had a patchy season. We know that he's dipped in and out of form like others. But recently, I mean, the kid's been on fire, and you don't have to go too far to find a Liverpool fan who doesn't care. Let's be honest with you. Um, you know, the England games are normally the games we, 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 we look to avoid rather than that because, you know, it's the same old, same old, isn't it? and we know our feelings about them nationally. But, but you, you know, your player's not going, again, great because he won't be injured. Um, but it's a remarkable snub, isn't it, for a kid who was season after season proving himself to be uh, the, the, one of the best footballers in that position in, in the world. Paul? Um, look, the FA spent millions uh, across the board trying to recruit... Um, men in suits and trying to figure out, get to the bottom as to why England haven't performed well at a national tournament for X amount of years. And 
And the problem is they've, they've got managers like Gareth Southgate who, who don't think that Trent Alexander-Arnold is one of the best 25, 23 players in the country. Uh, one of the best, you know, two right-backs or whatever. It's, it's unbelievable. I mean, um, I, I, I feel like I'm banging my head against the wall with this and, and I know Liverpool fans will be agreeing with me because how can you how can you look at it and think that, that this lad is not not only someone who should be in the squad in the team, he should be done the team around him. Look at Harry Kane up front, he's looking at Trent thinking, How many goals am I gonna score at this lad? You know, finding me every single time. He's he's an unbelievable footballer. I'm made up he's a scouser and made up he plays for the pool. He's only twenty two and made up we're gonna to get to see him for the next ten years of his career because he's he's I can't speak highly enough of him, he's unbelievable. Being part of the best Liverpool defence of the last two full seasons, um, 12 assists, which was a record for a defender. He then goes and breaks it with 13 assists. He's the PFA Young Player of the Year. Um, he's got over 100 Liverpool appearances. He's won the Premier League. He's won the Champions League. And he's only got 12 England caps, I think. I think it's 12. might even be less. Um, it, it baffles me. I mean, I know they've got a lot of strength and depth in that, in that position, but I'm not having that there's anyone better than him. And, and for me, it, this is why... England are going to fall down because they're not playing they're not taking advantage of the talent that they've got in front of them someone like Jack Grealish there's questions over whether he should be there he's another one he's, he's outstanding um, they've got they've got so much so many talented young players in England um, they, they really should be looking at this year I was thinking we, we might have an outside chance here if, if France have a little bit of a shocker or, or we can capitalise on Belgium slipping up because the talent's there but um the uh, the manager once again appears to be a little bit cautious and conservative, and uh, ultimately that's why they're going to come up short when you're leaving players like Trent out the squad. Yeah, he'd be playing if he played for uh, Chelsea, Sean. Well, yeah, that might might well be the case, but I I, I agree with Gorsi. I just think it's exposes the negativity and uh, of the England setup where it's. I know it's international football, there's a lot of risk, you play a lot of knockout tournaments, but it's that thing of we'd rather try not to lose a game than really try and go out to win it. But it, obviously Trent Alexander-Arnold helps you do that with all the assist stats that, that goes to reeled off there. You know, he's, he's the main man for that, isn't he? I think Harry Kane and others would absolutely lap up some of his crosses. But I think it, it's just, it also gives the lie to this myth that he can't defend as well. Like, like Gorsi said, he's been part of a defence that's been absolutely miserly at times. And, you know, he's been a, been a key element to that. And maybe, you know, he's still a young player. Maybe there's elements of his game he could still work on and refine. And, and he'd be the first to tell you that. But, yeah, that, that he's not even potentially going to go in that squad is a joke. But like Gorsi said, there should be the likes of him, Foden, Mount, you know, Sterling, Kane. This, this nucleus of very young and supremely talented attacking talents should Sounds be what well. England, yeah, exactly. You know, you know, Grealish as well. Like course, he said, it's it's it, it, there's there's this core there for England to really try and you know put put their foot on the throat of other teams and, and really go for them. But I don't think under this manager and in the current climate that's going to happen. And yeah, you know, it, it's that it's that age old thing of Liverpool fans will be delighted. You know, we will. We, we've seen how fired up Trent's been recently. If there was ever a season where he was going to get a summer off after the one he and everyone's had, that that's a that's a blessing. But I think you can tell as well that. For players, and even for him, you know, he's a scouser, and I'm sure it's, it's the club will always come first. But there is a disappointment there that, that he's not going to go and represent England potentially. And yeah, you have to feel for him in that respect. 
Yeah, yeah, he probably will feel it because it is part of being a footballer, is putting your shirt on for your for the you know national shirt and getting your caps and stuff. But as a Liverpool fan, I'm glad he's going to be nice and fit in anyway. Um, imagine him with a full tank of fuel after not exerting himself there. All right, look, look, guys, thank you very much. We'll just round off one game to go. Crystal Palace, we've got a bit of history with them one way or the other. You know, they were. I was at Palace at that three-three draw. That sort of came us for the league. Uh, equally, uh, Palace was the first game back let's, after football was uh, suspended, and we were hoping that it wasn't going to get suspended fully. First game back was uh, was uh, Palace at home, I think, when uh, Fabino, amongst others, got on the score sheet with a, with a rocket. And then, of course, Palace was the seven nil uh, beginning of the end of form, really, when Liverpool was sublime that day, blew them away, and then never really found anywhere near that form again. So. Sweet and fitting, I guess, that we uh, that we hopefully get our chicken suits across the line um, <laughs> with a with a victory uh, at home in front of ten thousand eagerly uh, anticipating fans who've, who've suffered long enough and need to see this team and give them their support. Um, it'd be great to finish it all off, mate. Get over that line, get fourth place, consolidate that, and, and then and then build for the future. Ghosty, what's your prediction for Sunday? Uh, I honestly think this will be comfortable. Um, 10,000 fans inside Anfield is going to make all the world a difference. No two ways about that. Um, and I ultimately think Liverpool will, will take massive kind of impetus from that. And Palace probably already on their holidays, aren't they? And um, I, I don't think it, there's going to be too many problems. Famous last words, maybe. But um, I, I think Liverpool are going to win this comfortably 3 or 4. Sean? Yeah, I, I, I broadly concur with that. I think there's a few of them because we are saying goodbye to the Roy Hodgson era. And I think there's a few players who are playing for contracts or potentially moves elsewhere. And Ben Teke looks like he's up for it again at the moment with a little flurry of goals. I, I think we'll be OK. I'd say 3-1. Um, I think that Palace might nick one. But yeah, Liverpool will get the job done. Yeah, well, good stuff, lads. Fingers crossed. I mean, uh, we didn't see this form coming. We would thank God for it. Um, better late than never let's get over that line uh, if we win we are in That's it's as simple as that the top four is, is desperately needed for Liverpool and um, so just so that we can get ourselves regroup and then kick on with, uh, with the real Liverpool next season Paul Ghost thank you very much pal always a pleasure to hear from you matey and get some sleep son <laughs> and uh, Sean Bradbury thanks a lot lads and uh, I don't know what we're going to be doing with, with, uh, with poultry motion whether we're going to carry them on or we're going to stop for the season but uh, I would imagine that uh, it's um, Alela Rouge will be the next one up uh, looking at how we get on uh, against Palace and Anfield. But thank you for listening. As always, each and every one of you who downloads all of these pods, the Poetry in Motion pod, the Alela Rouge, all of the Umbrella Blood Red pods. We appreciate you tuning into us all the time and listening to our views on Liverpool. Um, up the Reds, uh, let's hope for a victory on Sunday. This has been Poetry in Motion with me, Neil Fitz, Paul Ghost and Sean Bradbury. You've been listening to the Poetry in Motion podcast on the Blood Red channel.